Welcome to Simply Stogie's podcast, uh, a cigar podcast. I'm your host, James. Uh, joining me this week, as he's contra- contractually obligated to do, and words are hard today for some reason, uh, from now until the end of eternity, it is Nick Cirrus, LH Cigars. Nick Cirrus, welcome, my friend. Thank you very much, James. Always a pleasure to be on the podcast, the Simply Stogies Cigar Podcast. <laughs> cigar Podcast, because <laughs> nobody searches for Stogies. Uh, That's right. Uh, yeah, so uh, if, like a little like uh, kind of how the sausages is made kind of thing. It, it It's January 2nd right now. And so our guest has taken some time uh, from, uh, you know, getting back from the holiday season and, and getting right back into gear by joining us here at Simply Stogies. I know you guys are seeing this is the beginning of February, uh, but it is January 2nd. But we'll get to him in just a second. But before we do, I want to remind you guys, look, it, it's a new year, which means event season is right around the corner, a couple months away. And there's no other event that I would rather go to than my old Kentucky Herf, uh, Fat Ash Cigars in Kentucky. Dwight and Stephen and Tim, they put on a great job there. Um, my old Kentucky Herf is the second Saturday or the second Saturday of every May. Uh, and there's a ton of people there. Uh, last year, they had uh, a collaboration between uh, uh, Luciano and Ricky Rodriguez from West Tampa, who's our next guest uh, uh, two weeks from now. Uh, it was a great cigar called The Maker. Who knows what they're going to have this year? Give Fat Ash a call. I'll put it on the screen. Give them a call. Get your tickets now. VIP tickets, general admission tickets still available because it's January 2nd, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so go there. Uh, Fat Ash Cigars, My Old Kentucky Herf. All of, uh, all of the info will be in the, uh, the description in the show notes. Uh, I hope to see you there. Uh, now that that's out of the way, let me introduce our guest uh, for this episode. He is the executive director of the Premium Cigar Association, the PCA, Scott Pierce. Scott, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year to you as well. Um, I, I, I love the background, the cigar. Um, let's let's start because I've known... Like we're not friends. Like we haven't talked. We don't talk a lot offline. Or, but I've I've talked to you a few times at the trade show. But I don't even know like how you started uh, with cigars. How do how you got in the hobby? Like, can you tell us a little bit about maybe your first few cigars and what kind of drew you to them? Sure. Um, uh, Really, I came about because of some friends. Um, back when uh, my wife and I were dating, she, we had a group of friends and we'd go over and play Friday night poker. And, uh, pretty soon the guys would all get together and start going out and having cigars after about the first hour. And, uh, all the SOs would stay and, and play poker. Um, so it kind of started from there. I'd smoked a little bit previously to that kind of, you know, coming of age and all that good stuff. And, and, uh, so started smoking cigars there. Um, and then kind of was trying to figure out what I liked. Uh, and then I'd gotten, um, so it was a few years. So it's probably, that was probably, 16, 17 years ago, maybe a little bit more. Um, And then I was on a job um, uh, and and was in Chicago for a conference and wanted to go go get cigars. And so there was this shop I looked up. It was called Up Down and it was a little less than a mile away from my hotel. So it was actually fairly uh, nice there for the it's it's always the first weekend after Thanksgiving when this conference is held. Uh, And so I took the the, the walk because it was actually pretty mild in Chicago. Walked up there and, and talked to who now I now know is Phil Ledbetter, and I know him quite well and consider him a very good friend. And uh, was just asking him, you know, I was very kind of still new to my journey into cigars. And uh, I said, hey, look, 
fairly new. I enjoy these types of things. In fact, the Fonseca 550 was uh, the first cigar that I'd really gone back to and repurchased and was uh, the cigar that I would smoke while walking the dog. And uh, so I said, hey, look, you know, I'm, you know, blank slate, you know, what, what's something that's interesting or whatever else. And, and he said, hey, this is something that's, it's pretty new. It's only been on the market for a a little bit here. It's something I really like. And he introduced me to the Tatuaje J21. Um, I let, I let that sucker up and, and, uh, just, it it was such a surprise, like the flavor and, and, and everything else was very different uh, than anything I'd smoked at that point. And it was really just sort of a revelation to me about how different and nuanced the cigars can, can taste and present and smell and everything else. Um, save the bands, um, because that's not an easy name to remember (laughs) and, uh, went back, researched it and, and found out that about 25 minutes away, there was a shop that carried it. And nothing that was that close to me. Um, and so, and the funny thing is, I introduced it to those same friends um, who, who hadn't heard of it, obviously. And the one friend um, loved it so much that it was almost all he smoked exclusively would buy five, six boxes a year. And I uh, joked with Pete. I said, where's my where's my uh, residual off that, my friend? But uh, no, it's all good. Uh, so, yeah, so that kind of started it from there. Um, and then uh, – uh, really just started to explore uh, all the various countries and aspects and tastes and, and everything else and companies and, and, uh, and different blenders and everything else. And so, um, yeah, so then, you know, smoked the Cowboy Guan when my son was born and then smoked the Florida de Santillas, uh when my daughter was born. So, um, yeah, I've been a pretty, pretty avid cigar smoker for, you know, 15 plus years now. So 15 plus years, how long have you been with the, tra- uh, with the PCA? I always say trade show, but it's the PCA. How long have you been with the PCA? <laughs> Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so uh, just uh, just about just under six years. Six, just under six years. So, let me let me let me ask this because you you come from being a um, a consumer at the very least of cigars, but it sounds like you have a real passion for it, and because everybody remembers that cigar that get what's that? Oh, it clicks like it makes sense now. Like I had smoked cigars before, but there's that one where you're like, oh, I get it. I get it. And then you just go mm-hmm. down the rabbit hole. So, you know, moving in uh, to the PCA, uh, it is it hard to not fanboy sometimes when you meet some of these guys? Because <laughs> I know it is for me. I'm like, oh, my God. That's what's funny. My first day on the job, I actually went down to uh, the Dominican Republic for the TAA meeting. Um, they said, hey, if you can start, we'll get you down there. You get to meet all these great people and brands and everything else. And I was in line going through immigration to the Dominican Republic, and I saw Pete. And uh, it was funny. So I started talking to him in line, checking in a little bit. He had absolutely no idea who I was. Um, I thought it was like a new retailer. and was just kind of confused. And when he met me, he was like, oh, it's, you know, oh, okay, I got it. Um, and then later on, it was funny. He was, he was laughing because he was uh, – uh, I can't remember exactly who we were talking. He's probably some members of the board. He's like, no, hey, look, he's like, I love him. He's a fan. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, – and then right after that, the second day, we go up into a room and I'm up there with George Frajon, Carlito Fuente, Rocky Patel, Robbie Levin, uh, Lito Gomez, all, all talking strategy about all these different things and stuff. And so that was one of those moments where um, I kind of turned to Craig Cass, who was the immediate past president at the time, and it was just sort of this, you know, are you freaking kidding me moment, and he kind of pulled me he goes, yeah, it's a little like talking football strategy with like, you know, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning and Drew Brees. And I was like, yeah, it's a it's a little bit like that. Yeah, for sure. So uh, it was it was a very good sort of entree into it. And obviously we were discussing, you know, some controversial topics there, like what became known as Consumer Day and some of these other things were going on with the lawsuits and the predicate <laughs> date and some of these other things. Right. So it wasn't like I was thrown into the deep end on on anything enjoyable as far as the discussions were concerned. It was, you know. 
it was a lot of the, uh, the the angst and the turmoil that the industry was going through at the time. So, um, so yeah, so it was, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's easy to kind of fanboy out, especially when you're looking at, you know, the art versus the artifice. And, and so uh, I've often joked about that because, you know, uh, being in my position and with the trade show and everything else is concerned, you definitely will have times when, you know, like last year, George for Jones calling me three times during the day, cause he's livid about something and everything else and stuff. And so it's one of those things to where like, yeah, oh, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's Scott, actually- tell us about, Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Say, I, go ahead. Scott, tell us about your, your role in the industry prior to being with the PCA. You went from consumer. Did you actually work in the industry after that? Right. No, actually, I'd never worked in the industry. Uh, I was just an oh. avid consumer. Um, quite frankly, I didn't. I knew what Cigar Rights of America was. I had no idea really what I what at the time what IPCPR oh, I was. Um, I knew that the industry had a big trade show. Um, but by way of my background, I'm a trade association professional. I've been an association executive oh, for okay. um, for twenty almost twenty five years. Wow. Uh, so at that point was you know about eighteen years or so, and so. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so when they uh, when it came time uh, for, to look for a new CEO, uh, the recruitment firm reached out to me. They they found my my profile on LinkedIn and said, "Hey, look, this this background that you have is actually something that they're interested in." Um, and uh, they didn't tell me what the organization was. And they said, would you be interested in a position? Um, at the time, I was with the American College of Radiology. So I was running the marketing department there. Uh, that's about a $140 million organization, about 500 employees. And so they were like, well, would you consider coming to a small association? And and uh, I said, yeah, you know, because I'd come from a smaller one before then. And uh, so then she said, well, it's for, you know, cigar and pipe industry. I said, oh, that's great. I've been smoking for, you know, uh, quite a while. I'm a, I'm a fan of cigars. And uh, so the search committee, uh, made up of mostly became my board members, uh, really didn't know anything about my cigar background because um, I think they felt like that was kind of tripping them up a little bit because they they really wanted to put some more professional trade association stamps on the association, um, recognizing that uh, we've entered into this regulatory purgatory, as it were, uh, based upon the FDA and everything else, and understanding that there's a lot of elements that we needed to implement. Um, and so they kind of wanted that to be the 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 standard bearer to start with. Um, and so then I came in and just so happened that, you know, talked about the Catway Guan and Florida Santillas that I smoked and how often and what I'd smoked and everything else. And so it was um, it, it just kind of ended up being serendipitous confluence, as it were. <laughs> That's awesome. So they accepted you wholeheartedly at that point then. Yeah, my, my, <laughs> one my of second us, one of us. Yeah, exactly. My second interview was actually at uh, John Anderson's when he used to have the whiskey lounge, um, which was civil at the time. And so I went and had, you know, a, a great dinner and cigars with you know three or four of, of the guys from the, the board and the search committee. Um, and it was funny because Evan was there, was the, the rep from Davidoff at the time and, you know, just laid out a bunch of Davidoffs on the table. And it was the first time I'd ever been able to have a meal while smoking a cigar. That changed my life, let me tell you. And uh, <laughs> and so it was just a lot of fun, you know, just to, you know, it was them gauging how I could, you know, interact in, in a social environment, particularly with cigars and everything else. Because there's there's a couple of things, right? Obviously, you need to be able to interact socially. That's a big part of it, especially when it comes to lobbying. Uh, the second part of it is, is that this is an e- uh, industry where it's very easy uh, to let the pendulum go way too far on the other end. Um, so I think they were, they were just gauging that aspect, I think of my social interaction and, and things like that. They seemed to like it. And, and so propelled me forward and, and here I am today, almost six years later. And you look cool. well rested and refreshed. Cause I, I, I'll be honest. Normally when I see you, Scott, especially in person, uh, you are stressed out and you're just trying to get everything done, putting out fires, doing your job and you do a great job at it. But I mean, I can tell that you are 
you are definitely more well rested and and not nearly as anxiety ridden as when I normally see you in the middle of the year. It's the new year. It's yeah. the new yeah. year. Yeah, the trade show. The trade show does. Uh, which is funny, you know, I, um, you know, Lisa Cox, who runs all of our trade show and all of our meetings and everything, uh, who is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, like I said, I've been doing trade associations and, and trade shows and events for a very long time. And uh, Lisa Cox, I've told her this before, uh, best in the business I've ever worked with. Uh, she is just tremendous. And so in 2021, coming back um, from COVID, uh, she was actually on maternity leave during the trade show. I told her, like, you're never allowed to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's a 20- terrible time, terrible time. 20, baby. 2021 uh, trade show was probably the most stressed I have ever been professionally just because we had 92 days to put this thing on from when we got approval. Uh, she went on maternity leave. Thank God we had a, a contractor that Lisa had worked with for a number of years who had actually worked at our trade show before. But I mean, again, and, and she's phenomenal. Um, but it's not like having Lisa there who knows everything else and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little less stressed these days going into the trade show now that, that Lisa has, has assured me she's not going to do that to me again. <laughs> Never again. Never again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. So it's it, it, it's great to see. It's great to see you with a smile on your face and, and, and a pep in your step, so to speak. Uh, but let, let's talk about uh, the, the Premium Cigar Association because it's, it's changed a lot over the years and certainly in the last five years. But if we take COVID out of it because COVID was just a weird time for, for everyone. If we take that out of it, how has the PCA changed since you've kind of been at the helm? Yeah. Well, I mean, first thing, it used to be the IPCPR. Um, and uh, so that was a, a big thing. Um, during my interview, I asked the question, you know, again, my background marketing and, and, and uh, you know, I had got my MBA and so I'd done a lot of that type of work. So the first question I, I asked them actually in my interview, I said, well, how open would you be to a rebrand and, and a name change? And they just, they looked a little confused and I said, why would you say that? And I said, it seems to me a little counterintuitive that you're a tobacco lobbying organization and you have CPR in, in the name of your organization. <laughs> And that's the reaction they had. And one went like, you know, I never even thought about that. So when we did the research, we we interviewed uh, dozens of, of Hill staffers um, and, and kind of got feedback in terms of that. And so, again, the name changed there. Um, you know, a, a couple of things, too. We did a lot of different strategic planning sessions, particularly the board, and really focusing on what specifically is the mission of the organization, right? We're not a trade show organization. We're not a for-profit entity that puts on a trade show. Um, And we've got this new realm that we need to be working into and and what is it that we're really about? Um, And, you know, a lot of great work and, you know, really what we're about is growing, especially tobacco retailing. Um, And that's what we're, that's, that's our whole point. And lobbying and advocacy is a part of what we do in order to help that. And the trade show uh, is a part of that because, again, there's a lot of things you can learn and that helps the, the, it grow. There's a lot of benefits, actually, of having that trade show that way. But it's also what funds a, a lot of what we do. Um, you know, and it was funny because, again, uh, it's not like Pete Johnson's the only person I talked to. It just happens to be that this is the case. But I saw him at the Big Smoke in 2018 when I was there. And we were talking. And I said, look, I said, the trade show is not everything for us. I said, it's one element. I said, if you think about what we really are, we're a two-sided platform type of nonprofit organization. And I said, if you think about us like iTunes, we're here to bring all of the producers of, you know, cigars or, you know, and products like music into the platform and the buyers on the other side of it in, in a lot of different ways. Mostly that's the retailers, obviously, but there is an element of some consumers uh, aspects that we like to get in because, again, you all as the media are a part of this organization and you carry that message out to the consumers as well. Um, and so that's a big shift that we had looking at it that way is to say what besides the trade show 
are we doing to help retailers get better at their business, uh, make more money? At the end of the day, that's really what retailers are, you know, they want from us, right? Is they want to, they want ways that we can help them make more money. That's, you know, and so we get discounted services for them, educational resources, um, networking resources to find, you know, different things, bringing them in more interesting interactions with, with manufacturers. The more retailers can grow the relationships with vendors, the better that they can get at being able to understand inventory turns and different things like that. Um, and then you're just providing like tax education, you know, through different partners um, or, you know, waiting through different things like FCC regulations and being able to text customers and any number of those types of things. Um, so we continue to build out those resources. Obviously, COVID had to put a pause on some of those because we had to ensure that we had money to continue as an organization after the trade show was canceled. Sure. Um, but that those are some of the bigger changes. The other aspect of it, too, is just a little bit more, uh, I won't call it traditional, um, but a little bit more of the kind of tried and true um, mechanisms by which nonprofits are run via like boards and things like that. So we've opened up board seats now for manufacturers to sit on who provide valuable insights from their perspectives about retail and, and, and leveraging their experience um, and being able to foster the committees and people being able to volunteer on committees. Um, and you've seen that, I think, uh, you know, in, in the changes where we've changed the dates of the trade show, we've changed some of these other elements of, of things that we do. So a lot of that will be kind of continuing on and building upon itself. So um, that's just sort of a, a fairly limited summation of, of some of the changes that have gone on over the past five years or so. Well, and I would I would hazard to say that that a lot of these changes that have happened is because you you listen to the feedback of both your members and the manufacturers. So the members being being the retail stores and the manufacturers are the ones who like you you, you have to work with them and they have to work with you. Uh, and it's a symbiotic relationship. So taking that feedback and and implementing it in a way that is advantageous for everybody, which is another way of saying trying to make everybody happy. Yeah, that that can that that can get a little hairy sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's a combination. Obviously, uh, soliciting the feedback and getting it is is very good. Um, I think the other part too is. Um, is is being able to see and listen, engage the industry without asking the questions to be able to find those elements of of really what are the pain points or gain points that we're trying to address and what we can do resource wise to help the members, members being either manufacturers or retailers. Um, right. And it's 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 the old adage of of uh, Henry Ford. Right. If I would have given my customers what they wanted, I would have given them a faster horse. And um, I, I like uh, I just lost the guy's name, uh, uh, unfortunately, but he was the, he was the head of, uh, I think, marketing for Cirque du Soleil. And obviously Cirque du Soleil is a very different type of circus, right? Sure. And he basically said, why the hell would I listen to my customers? They, How are they supposed to know what they want when they've never even seen it? Um, and so it's kind of balancing those two elements, right? You got to listen when there is, particularly when there's a specific problem. Uh, there's no shortage of folks that will obviously share those. So those are a little bit easier to address. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's I, always on the flip easier. side of it. <laughs> it's always easier to bitch than it is to be like, oh, this is awesome. 
Yeah, yeah. So, but on the flip side, when looking at how do we innovate appropriately? Look, we have limited resources. We're a nonprofit organization. So, how do we innovate in a way that's going to be most impactful? Um, and that really comes with, and that's why. Look, I travel a lot more, and I'm, I'm out visiting retailers a lot more, having conversations. I've got a good staff now that that travels, um, and they understand what it is that I'm looking for too when trying to elicit the type of information from retailers in terms of what they're they're approaching. Again, the pain points those are really easy to address. We are addressing a lot of them with new stuff, with things like new healthcare plans, new retirement and investment plans that we're coming out with with retailer for retailers, uh, recruitment uh, tools and things like that for finding people with jobs, uh, for uh, filling jobs. Um, but then, so what are the other areas that we can address that they're not even thinking of that they wouldn't think to ask for, but can be those things that can really, really go from, you know, take take their retail shop up to 11 type of thing. Right. Uh, what are some of the things that you've implemented in the last, let's just say, 12 months post-COVID? Not to say that we're over with COVID. I don't want anybody to yell at me because we're not over COVID. I get it. But in the last 12 months, uh, what are some of the things that you've implemented that uh, kind of move in that direction to, to help retailers uh, grow their business? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, this is kind of an interesting one. Um, it's, uh, th this one's kind of a no duh, and it's something that was kind of out there for a little bit, but, but really this awards program that we've launched, which focuses specifically on retailers. And that might not sound like intuitive to be like, well, how is that going to grow retail? Um, well, the main point that we really want for this award is not only do we want to recognize excellence, but the PR that we want and what, that we will put out based upon this, it's another reason why we do it regionally, the, the awards. So each region has different categories for awards. Um, the reason why we do that is because it aligns with our regional strategies when it comes to advocacy as well. And so when you start to be able to promote that and, and you're promoting excellence in retail, you're shining a light onto the industry and you're really putting its best face forward, right? You know, the NFL, they do the cancer thing in, in October. They do all these other things with with the the kids and the pump pass kick things right all, all the sports leagues do things like that all the time out in the communities for a very important reason and that's not they want to help the community but let's be honest right there's an ulterior motive that exists there too absolutely it's the same thing here we want people especially new cigar smokers to see these places especially in their communities and being like my god it's beautiful. It's clean. It's look at the selection. Look what the type of people that are here. This is fantastic. What a great social uh, experience. Not to mention the fact that every single, you know, out of the 65, 70 plus nominations we got, the amount of charity and community work that all of these these uh, or, uh, organizations and stores do as well and outreach is phenomenal. So that's one key element um, that we're looking at. You know, another one is we're um, we're still building this out. It's going to uh, it's it's a kind of a multi-year phase, uh, but we're launching a brand new online uh, interactive buyer's guide. And what oh, wow. this is is what's well, the almanac. So the almanac has kind of been this, this uh, static phone book that we released every year. Um, and so we've been working to update that and we've got this in, incredible new system to where retailers will be able to interact and follow. It's very social network in that regard because we want people to be familiar with how it works, but it's a way to be able to find reps, find product information, just like you would in the Almanac, but as a manufacturer, it benefits you because you can update in real time. Uh, it's it's instant lead generation. So if a retailer, because it's all has to be logged in through the system, right? 
So if you're a retailer and a member and you interact with, you know, a, a post from CLE or something, CLE is automatically notified that you did that. So it's positively generation for them. Uh, and then that's going to build out to us doing the, uh, a, a much greater enhanced find a tobacconist network. So with search engine optimization, if you're traveling, um, you know, ideally when you search for, you know, tobacco shops or cigar lounges, ours will pop up for you. And, you know, again, it's verified and qualified and things like that too. Uh, and then we're also putting out kind of a best practice platform uh, called the, the, the gold leaf program. We're working on that as well. Um, this is a sort of a self-assessment tool for retailers uh, and we're compiling it. Um, so just as a reference point, when I was with the American college of radiology, uh, we had hundreds of radiologists that would get together and review their technical standards and practice guidelines. And then they would put those out and then, uh, you know, practices and hospitals would get them and use them to implement it and make sure they were kind of hitting the standards yeah. in a similar fashion. We're going to get, you know, hundreds of different retailers putting this in and giving feedback and kind of building this out. Um, so it's a way to have almost passive networking and, but almost kind of passive networking and commentary on your shop. So you can be like, Oh, Hey, you know what? That was a blind spot. Um, you know, these 10 shops do this really well. And then you're able to kind of figure out and do that. Cause one of the things I really see um, again, sort of that in the way that I can just observe is when I get together, particularly with, you know, 10, 15 retailers and listen to them, whether it's board members or in other instances, when they start talking about how they run their business or I had this challenge and they tell funny stories about customers or security, they're like, Oh no kid, really you did this. And then they start picking out these things and like, well, no shit, I should give that a try or, or how did you do that? And then it's just this organic thing that ends up happening. Um, and that really is ultimately the bread and butter of associations and how you can do that with folks. That's where the great pure information sharing and, and, and education comes from is just that. So we're, we're building out ways to foster that as well. Um, and so these are all going to be kind of, we want to do it right and, and not have people drink from a fire hose and we'd rather get it slow and steady and, 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 and working up to it rather than just trying to just throw it out there for people and expecting them to absorb it and engage. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's a lot of uh, sharing best practices, which I, I'll be honest, never really thought about it until just this second listening to you talk about it is uh, when you walk into a retail store, any retail store um, that's not cigars. So think Best Buy, Walmart, whatever, they all have hundreds and hundreds of stores where they have best practices that they've put forth that they have learned over time and whatnot. Whereas a lot of these cigar shops with very, very few exceptions are yeah. mom and pop shops. They are, they're single, single owner. Um, and they, you know, they don't, they don't have the years and years of retail experience to have all of the best practices. And they certainly don't have a sample size large enough to, to kind of do that. So to have an association like the PCA where retailers can come together and share those best practices and the PCA is taking some of those best practices from other retailers, from the retailers that are members and putting them out to everybody. That has got to be such a great resource, especially for shops who are newer or maybe just opening up and becoming members. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 84% of our membership are single store owners to your point. Um, and so we're starting to, to get that and build that out. Right. And now that we've got Antoine, um, you know, being able to put these content and these resources together as well, gathering these, you know, we've got the, you know, the big, how to open up a cigar lounge resources on our website. We're going to start to build out more of those. Right. And, and, and even get, you know, outside industry experts sometimes when we say, Hey, here are some of these pitfalls. 
you know, get, you know, some, some legal experts to give some, you know, advice in terms of, Hey, well, here's what to look for. We've gotten some finance experts as well to say, Hey, here's what you want to look for with these X, Y, Z. Cause there's a lot of stuff you just don't know. You know, my wife opened up a, a, a do it yourself cake decorating shop a few years ago. And, and she's just like, yeah, there's just an insane amount of things. She's like, now that I know there's just so much, you just don't know when you're heading into these things. Right. So it's, it's um that's, that's a, that's a, it's a great point. A very, you know, good key element to that is, is being able to connect the, the the people to those resources and being able to be that conduit, really. That's sort of our goal is to make sure that that all lines are open in and out of PCA to ensure that we're the best possible conduit for the sharing and for um, that information. Uh, let me ask you this, because you deal, like it, it, it's kind of a three-pronged and maybe even four-pronged attack for you guys, because you've got you have retailers and then you've got manufacturers and then you have, you know, the jackasses in media like myself. Uh, and then you've got <clears throat> from there, you've got consumers. Like, how are you how are you able to manage all of that and coordinate these attacks? And then you throw the lobbying uh, and, and the legislative side in there. So it's a five pronged attack. And then if the trade shows its own separate attack, because, I mean, it really is. There are like yeah. six areas that you guys fo- like, what is your main area of focus every year? Is it the trade show? Is it legislative? Is it pulling, you know, retail sources together? Like, what is it, the PCA's main focus every year? Well, I mean, look, at the, the trade show has got to be the top focus, right? Because with, you know, no money, no mission. And right, the trade show is our big funder, right? And so that's that's primary. And the other thing with the trade show, not only is, does it obviously is our, our, our big, you know, funding mechanism, um, which give, you know, presents all the money that we make to then put back into all of the other things you just dis- discussed. But what the trade show also presents, it presents something very, very unique for us as an industry in terms of PR. Because when the FDA comes every year, we have state tax folks that come every year, but we also have lay media that comes, right? And particularly local, but I mean, others that do as well. And what it showcases is it showcases exactly the personality of the industry, why we're different, especially when it comes to regulators, right? Walking our show floor is very different than walking other show floors that are in our space. It's very different. And they feel that, they understand that. And it's a very um, um, provocative way for us to punctuate our message about who we are as an industry, what we stand for, and, and, and then also how we run our businesses. So that's, that's a key element. Um, to your point, all of it kind of runs simultaneously the way that a business operations would, right? You know, so Walmart, you know, big, big thing there with Walmart, but you can take a look and see the, 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 sh- everything else that Walmart forced everybody to change, right? But at the end of the day, there's still a consumer goods store. Um, same type of thing here, right? We're, we're really, you know, um, innovating in a lot of different ways and in, in how we lobby and how we do advocacy. A lot of that stems from uh, the, the cigar itself and how we're able to socialize around different things that we can do with that. And, and that actually helps us, right? But you know, the lobbying and the advocacy is is a major, major component of what we do. Uh, membership fuels that as well. And being able to provide member services. Because here's the thing, if if you are, we've got some great retailers and, and historically they haven't been able to come to the show uh, because they run their stores themselves. Taking off in the summer was too difficult, uh, but they would continue to be members. They would even donate to the pack or things like that. Um, Ultimately, you know, if if that's the case and you're in a state where not a lot goes on, um, 
you know, there's got to be something a little bit more for, for membership as it relates to benefits and services, right? You know, if, if you pay gym dues, pay, you know, to go to a gym every month and your gym has, you know, basically nothing but treadmills and you have, you know, an arthritic knee, there's got to be something else for you to keep you going to that gym, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's just kind of it. We want to make sure that we've got all various types of equipment for people that answers their needs uh, so that that way, if, you know, they still aren't, you know, building muscle or getting in shape, it's because they're actually not using the gym, not because the gym doesn't have the services or the tools they need. Yeah. To, to that point, the biggest um, roadblock, I guess, when I, when I, I travel all over the country, I talk to lounge owners all the time and, and I say, Hey, are you going to the trade show this year? Are you remember the PCA and the ones that say, no, I don't go. It's always, there's no reason to go to the trade show. Like I can get the deals that they get at the trade show. It, I, it takes time out of my schedule where I've got to go. It's money that I got to pay to get a hotel and I got to pay for my staff to go. And he, you know, they're always like, it's just, it's just, it's not something that, that they want. How do you change that perception? Because there's obviously more to the PCA than just the trade show. Yeah. You know, I think that, um, the the benefits and services component will 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 come into play there you know for those guys that that do that i mean th those are the guys that are really all about the the dollar signs then um you know I've, I've and i mean i would probably say this to their face if they were to tell me that i would say well you know you're a person that doesn't see value beyond the dollars and that's fine i've worked with and for plenty of folks like that in my, in my life and there's nothing wrong with that uh, at the same time it, you know if 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 you're having difficulty drawing a conclusion of I'm going to a trade show and, and all of these things are being put into place. You'll reap the benefits, particularly as they continue to build year in and year out to that. I will say this, one of the reasons that I think that, you know, um, this is, I have, I don't really have a whole lot of, of definitive data to prove this, but I, th I think it will hold true. I think the deals will come back to the show because we've moved the dates. Because if you think about this, most retailers are not looking to buy in bulk January, February. Um, they want to stock up and they want to get product to hit their shelves right around that April, May timeframe when the season kicks in. And if no retailers are willing to spend any sort of big money, what does it benefit a company in February to start putting their deals out? No one's buying. Yeah. No one, no, I don't care if you got a five and one, I don't have cash right now. And so the deals will organically come back for the trade show. One of the things we did hear from manufacturers, this kind of goes back to the point of listening a little bit and trying to determine some of the benefits we can offer. Manufacturers used to talk about the fact that all of the pressures they have to discount at all these different various points, right? And it's like, God, can we ever just sell our product for normal? And I think manufacturers really would like to be able to focus on one or two times a year when they're going to go out and be aggressive with the discounts and then go normal the rest of the time. And that like most other industries standardize that in a lot of ways. This helps that because this now comes at the very beginning of the sales season for most of the country and it allows them to have that aggressively there. And then hit it one, two, three more times as you're turning throughout the busy months before you head into the holidays. Um, every manufacturer from from the massive ones like the Drew Estates all the way down to the very, you know, brand new guys like the Boutique Cigar Association folks or Don Doroteo, some of these others, they've all said, yes, that that helps us manage that flow as we go through the, the sales cycle. So I do think that in, in terms of the folks that are objecting to, uh, I get the discounts anyway, um, um, I think that's going to come back organically. The other part of what we're we're also, I mean, and this is something the manufacturer started to doing these exclusive products 
a lot of them are putting a lot into some of these exclusive products. You know, Pete sell out Christian, what he did with the, you know, the 23 release last year with this new tobacco um, that he's got going down in South America is, is fantastic. Um, you know, the, the Fuente release um, a lot of that sort of building that consumer demand. And, and I think what Pete really was kind of one of the, the leaders in this for several years ago was, Hey, this you only get this if you come to the show and it's only the, I've only got, you know, X number of boxes. Yep. Um, you know, that, that's starting to trend this kind of same way that the TAA exclusives did back in 2012, I think, is when that really kind of kicked in. In fact, again, Pete, who did it for, for TAA, is doing it for PCA, right? He'll, the bands are going on there. PCA bands are going on his cigars, right? CLE did it with the, the tissue paper with the PCA exclusives. So that goes back to us being a little bit more to educate the consumers about who we are and why these cigars are out there as well. Um, but, you know, kind of getting people back into the the lounge experience, Um but the other aspect that really kind of comes down to is kind of what you were just talking about. And one of the the two business cases that you study a lot in, in business school as it relates to, we were talking earlier about networking, right? Um, but the Four Seasons and Starbucks are two that you study a lot for a couple of reasons. But it, Four Seasons, while the brand will initiate a thought in your head, all Four Seasons and all the localities are very different and very, very much tuned in to what that local environment and local experience is. And they allow their managers and their hotel staff to design that experience based upon local knowledge and local experience, right? They have a lot of freedom to do a lot of different things for customer service there too. Starbucks is the same way. You know, music came about because they allow each individual location to experiment with the customer base to see what works. Their whole, their whole, uh, uh, Frappuccinos or whatever they're called, blended drinks. That came about because there were baristas that started blending those and they started promulgating and getting spread out. You know, and 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 that's what we're trying to do is create that sort of type of corporate cohesion amongst our members, so that if someone's trying something over here, then you can extol that experience and share it over here. If you're stuck in your four walls, you're never going to be better than another retailer who's out there and who's taking all of these other things in and doing other things more and more because you're just not getting the knowledge. You're leaving money on the table, but not investing, what, $2,000. You're leaving money on the table by not taking in um, what's going on there. Not only that, you're able to develop um, really good relationships. I've talked to a handful of, of retailers who have said, yeah, I've got a great relationship. Like for example, one was with, you know, Nick Melillo and foundation and the store just, they sold a ton of it. Uh, they would do events there. They did all these other things. And it, it's kind of, they call themselves a, a kind of a quasi foundation store because of that. I mean, there's just, there's so many of those opportunities that exist. And if you're not out there networking and brainstorming and coming up with that, I mean, it's just common knowledge. You're just leaving money on the table. Yeah, I, I would say that if you're one of those retailers that I've talked to that say, you know, oh, well, it's a lot of money and, you know, I can get the deals or whatever. It's 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 it's, it's a fairly short sighted. Um, it's a fairly short sighted argument on your part, because there is a lot that you can gain other than just going to the trade show and, and networking with manufacturers and networking with with your friends in the business. It is like you said, it goes to best practices. It goes to all of these things that you were. Uh, this corporate cohesion, as you called it, which I really like that. I like that that term a lot. Um, and it gives you that amongst all of these uh, single owner stores. Um, well, the other thing that's interesting about that is if you were to compare prices, our dues are insanely low. I mean, we don't charge to come to the trade show if you it's just part of your membership. When you look at every other industry, 
not only are dues higher for a professional trade association, you're usually spending at a minimum $600, $900 or so to come to an event like the one that we put on, you know, per ticket price. I mean, you know, thank the manufacturers because I mean, again, their booths kind of pay for a lot of this, but we pay, we spend eight to $900 per attendee. We've gotten that down, but I mean, on average, you know, for the past few years, it's been about $800 per attendee to come to the show to provide the experience. And so, we keep all of that cost extremely low. So, you know, hotel rooms, you know, we, we've, you know, $600 or so that you have to pay for three nights, you know, and then airfare really. And then, I mean, you know, just some food and drink, but that's, you know, you can be as cheap as you want with yourself for food and drink. You know, I know Vegas is expensive, but I mean, listen, I can go get a $12 in and out burger and I hell I'd eat that every night if I could. Uh, yeah, I, I would. Me too. I would. No, I would. In, in and out is overrated. Overrated, no, it's damn not. It. No, it's not. No, it's, it's not. not it's not overrated, but when you're in Vegas and you're looking for a good meal that's cheap, I don't know if there's anything better. Well, you might I, be. I you agree might with be you, right Scott. There. I agree with you. It's the best <laughs> fast food burger out there. Oh, you guys are talking to it a is. fat guy. Like, well, I, so I know, in your I opinion, burgers. what's the best? I know burger. Well, it's not in. So a buddy of mine, what, he, he, he actually, so he's actually one of our writers, uh, Eric Lemire. Uh, we were at the Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest this last year, and he was like, hey, let's go get In-N-Out. I'm like, I've never had In-N-Out. He's like, oh, you got to have it. You're going to love it. It's the greatest thing ever. He's West Coast. He grew up in the West Coast. He loves In-N-Out. So we went, and <laughs> I remember I took a picture of the food before we started eating, and I, and I started, I'm like, it's just a, it's a burger. It's not even that great. It's okay. It's well, just a, well, hold on. Did you get Did you get a double-double animal style? A double-double animal style, fries animal style. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it, sure, okay. I mean, I get the novelty of it, but. Like as far, I'd rather have. It's not five, just the novelty; it's a great taste. It's all right, Nick. I would rather have Whataburger. I said yeah, everybody it. says Whataburger, yeah, or Five Guys. Like they, they, I said it. I said it. Come at me. Come at me in the comments. I don't. Care. No, listen, listen, Five Guys. I, you know, I started here in Virginia, and so when I first moved here twenty five years ago or so, um, and I first had Five Guys, it. it Again, much like the smoke in the J21, it was a revelation. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to come back here all the time. And I did. I mean, <laughs> I ate a lot <laughs> of those burgers over the years. And so um, those are great burgers. I think that that um, there's been such a, a massive spread of a bunch of, like, burgers uh, places over the years, even local stuff. We got one here, Big Bones. We got Burger Shack here, Jake's Way Back. Those are all phenomenal burgers that, that quite frankly, I probably would take over Five Guys or or In and Out at this point. Um, but a good burger, my God, is just a, it's one of my favorite things. So. Yeah, yeah, tough, absolutely. Tough. And for like twelve bucks in Vegas, how do you go wrong? <laughs> yeah, there's nothing that's twelve bucks in Vegas except for maybe In and Out. Let me yeah. let me ask you this, Scott, because you know we're talking about retailers and and some of their objections and whatnot. But when I talk to retailers, they also say, well, not every customer is my customer. You, you kind of have to look at retailers the same way. Like they may not be a good fit for us and we may not be a good fit for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question. I mean, and, and here's the thing is we get about a little North of 80% of all members of retail members come to the trade show, um, which is kind of unheard of to be honest with you. Um, and, and I was kind of, <laughs> I, I made this remark on my very first board meeting when we were going through and digesting the numbers and Jim Young who was with Davidoff at the time. He's like, Oh wow, that's, uh, those are good numbers. And I was like, I raised my hand and I said, those are great numbers, but it's a little bit of a red flag for me coming from all previous positions. Most of our annual meetings or trade shows we would get, if we got 35% of our total membership base to come, it was a resounding success. I said, so we've got a good problem on our hands, but there's some red flags with this. And 
I didn't know that a global pandemic was on the horizon, but it came to fruition that, that year of why this was such a big red flag for me um, and, and why, you know, building out multiple aspects of what we do as a membership uh, is important. So let's talk about some of the things that you've built out um, in, in, and none of this comes from a place of, of, I'm not trying to offend. I, I honestly want, want your feedback. I remember this last year uh, at the trade show during the uh, press conference, uh, someone from Half Wheel asked about uh, some of the press releases you were putting out. And since then, you have put out more. But they asked, uh, are you our competitor now? Is the PCA getting into the media space? And I think think the answer is yes to a degree because you've brought on Antoine from uh, Deep Cuts Live. Great guy, great writer, uh, knows his stuff in the media. But you guys are putting out media pieces now we're not putting out media pieces the way that you all do for the I, most part we're what we're doing is we well, again going back to this we've got to be the conduit right and so we are simply getting press releases the same way that you all do and just putting them out for our members um and and you know if 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 halfway wants to see that as competition i'm a little perplexed by that to be honest with you because does half will see you guys this competition or cigar Cooper's competition i would hope do not. you did anybody you know <laughs> did anybody write a memo to marvin shankin when they started doing their online stuff to make sure that you know does cigar journal go to marvin when this happened i mean the whole point here for us is that our primary target are retailers who need this information um and if they're getting it from multiple resources that's great. I mean, we're not trying to take away anything. We're trying to provide service um, for for members. I mean, look, to be honest, we are the only entity that has the amount of manufacturers of cigars and, and products and accessories than any other group that exists out there uh, because of the trade show. Um, and so we would be doing a disservice if we're not you know, promulgating all of their information as much as possible when they support, they come and we're trying to get them and, and get that information into the hands of the retailers. Right. Um, and that will lead with the, you know, the online almanac It's the same type of thing that the, you know, manufacturers will be able to connect directly with retailers. That's a very, very different, um, you know, conversation as it relates to, um, you know, cigar media, whether it's a blog or a podcast that's having conversations that are a little bit different in terms of, especially as it relates to the target audiences and the type of information you're talking to and, and things 100%. like that. Yeah. I, your target audience is definitely different than my target audience and, and half wheels target audience, uh, you know, I, for us and, and I think coop and some of the other ones that are out there, uh, our target audience is the consumers. That's who we're, Yep. Going out, we're basically, I mean, I've always said, because look, we tried the the press release thing and we can't compete with Half Wheel. I can't, I can't get it out as fast as Half Wheel or, you know, I don't even get the press releases at the same time as Half Wheel some of the time. So yeah. it, 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 for me, it's a non-starter. Uh, we're more of a talking head interview, long interview form show here. Let our audience get to know folks in and around the industry. Um, but I guess my other question that I responded back with during that press conference is, you know, Half Wheel does a lot of deliberations where they write about, you know, legal opinions and advocacy. Uh, quite frankly, I don't think they should because quite often they're not correct on it. And it actually can hurt us because they don't know about conversations we're having or other legal aspects. We vet our legal stuff through our actual litigators and lawyers. Right. Um, and so that's a frustrating aspect. I wish that they would actually confer with us or with our lawyers before they do that because um, it doesn't 
it, there it's a- actually it's actually used against us sometimes as far as that's concerned. But my point there was, are you trying to compete with us in terms of that space? And no, you're not. You're putting out information that you deem worthy for your readers. I just wish they would go through an extra process before they do it. That's neither here nor there. But, but I mean, but is there a process for us media folk uh, to, to, to do that? Uh, who who would we get a yeah. hold of to to be like, hey, we want to put this piece out and we want to make sure we have everything right? Like, who 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 would we contact at the PCA to do that? Would it be Antoine? No, well, I mean, you can. I mean, Antoine definitely point of contact for media. But again, I mean, all of our information is on the website. You can always call me directly or Josh as it relates to something specific like that. And I'm not, that's not to say that, like, I mean, look, Half Wheel and Charlie, they've, they've, they've called me before and, and asked me questions when it relates to reporting about PCA. I'm talking more about, like, the particularly the legal stuff or, like, if a, a bill going through and they were reporting on a bill as it drops, oftentimes I wish they would call us because we're working things on the back end. And when something like that goes public, it gets picked up because you have these these systems that will pick up these articles, right? And that's that's how we find out about bills and stuff, right? They have systems that do that. And so other legislatures that are in there can, will pick up on those things and it can actually hurt what we're doing, right? But anytime you have anything like that, just feel free to pick up the phone and give us a call. Um, and we're more than happy to kind of go through and either say, yes, this is correct or vetted or say, hold off on that. And, or we could get you in contact with like our lawyer, for example, um, you know, whether it's Michael Edney, whether it's Will Woodley who go through that, um, you know, we pay a lot of money for compliance and things like that. And, and, you know, it's a benefit for members if they want to use it. So, well, and, and I'll be honest, anytime we've ever reached out to have Josh on or, or Glenn loop on both have been more than willing to come on and, and share the information with us. Um, and so we try to stay away from uh, the politics of everything, but I mean, obviously, with cigars, uh, it's going to creep up every now and again. But last year was a banner year for the cigar industry as we won our fight against the FDA for now. Uh, the the yeah. appeal is is this year. What is what is your guys' take on the appeal? Uh, do we have a good chance of it just, you know, of them going away and going back to the drawing board and coming back a few years later? Like, what do you guys see as, as the probable uh, future for, for litigation and, and legislation? Yeah, it's a guardedly optimistic. I mean, look, they just, you know, filed for the extension, uh, which is, is fine um, in, in terms of that. But, you know, we we won so resoundingly on the merits of the case. And Judge Maida was very, very meticulous uh, with how he went through in all the various areas. And the FDA, and obviously we're biased as we're looking at this, but it's pretty clear that the FDA completely, I mean, like they put way too many carts before they ever even thought that there needed to be a horse as it relates to, to us, right? With yeah. this rule, because then they were, you know, halfway through and, you know, we, at the time it was, you know, Trump in the white house and we were having almost weekly meetings in the white house with this team that was there. Um, and it was funny because I remember the, the lawyer at the time was like, we've got three major initiatives and working groups right now. They're like, how the hell did you get premium cigars to be one of them? And um, so we did, you know, and and um, while that was happening, the, that same lawyer called the FDA, which then necessitated the FDA putting out this basically questions for rules in the middle of this court case and deliberation where Meta was like, how the hell are you asking these questions right now? And, and you've already made this rule and you haven't even answered these questions and you're just now asking these questions, right? So based upon a lot of those, um, we feel guardedly optimistic that, that the uh, appellate court will see it the same way that Judge Maida did, ask the same questions which have not been answered, um, and then we'll put it back to the FDA promulgating rule. Now, listen, the FDA is not going to go away. 
This does not mean that we are not regulated. In fact, one of the main thrusts for the decision was that there are literally hundreds of laws on the books across this country that regulate premium cigars. Um, what it means for us, it's actually, to be honest with you, it's easier if it's federally because that gives us a single point of entry and contact, right? When we have to worry about 50 states and localities, that's a much more difficult uh, approach for us. And our opposition has learned that, right? Um, they even want to go further than that. Um, there's this, you know, what they call, um, you know, local authority. And what they want is they want to take taxing of tobacco away from governors and they want to give it to local municipalities, you know, city councils or mayors. Which means instead of fighting 50 states on taxes, we're fighting tens of thousands of localities. They that's what they want, right? Because they feel like, okay, we'll just give you a death by, you know, tens of thousands of paper cuts. Fortunately for us, you know, we've done a good job of getting preemption with within these states, but there's not a lot of governors that want to cede that control. No. So no. Uh, so what is your because I, I said this in the middle of the pandemic, is it's not the federal government so much that we have to worry about. Like I, I don't think I was too concerned with anything that they had put out. Uh, but the state on the state level, I think that's where the fight's going. And that's where um, I don't know if the PCA set up to really fight that. You're set up to fight the federal government for sure, 100 percent. And you're certainly moving towards being set up, bringing Glenn Loop in from the CRA, I think was a great, uh, a, a, a great strategic move. Um so I think you're getting there, but what are some of the things that you see on the horizon that the PCA can do to get maybe a little more involved uh, on, on the state side? Yeah, so they they recognized that they needed to do that years ago, um, and there were a lot of different contractors in different states that were trying to to, to go with um, a couple of, of things that you know I've wanted to do strategically that we've been doing, and Josh and Glenn been doing a phenomenal job of doing it. Um, but also, number one is we're too small of an industry to be. Uh, fractured in terms of spending of resources. So we're working a lot closer with the other organizations um, and, and understanding that like 95, 98% of the time we're in lockstep. I mean, we're rowing the boat and we're, we're kicking ass and taking names as far as that's concerned. Um, a lot of the nuance where a lot of, you know, the, the divergence uh, in the weeds has kind of all been settled for the most part, um, you know, and, and trying to pick each other off or, or things like that was just, you know, it was a, it was a lose lose for everybody. Um, so that's been picking up and we can share resources and everything else. And that's been getting better and better. The second part of that is, is that what we have tried to do is be smarter, work smarter, not harder when it comes to the States. Um, but what that means for us is uh, initial effort up front of getting more and more state associations set up. We're far more effective with the state association apparatus that can be local. So what we want to do is, and again, mandate I've given my government affairs team, we want to be local everywhere, meaning we need to have state associations and a presence everywhere. And one of the things we started this year is sort of a state association, sort of lobbyist uh, funding bank effectively, right? What is on the horizon? Do we need to help pay for some of these things? If we've got positive legislation, we need to defeat a tax or defeat a smoking ban. We can put money towards that, right? We've been good over the past few years of managing finances to a point to where we have some funds we can put towards that. So we've Glenn's been doing a hell of a job of getting the state association set up. It's a little bit of a heavy lift at the start. It's not a lot to keep it going. It's just you got to have somebody that will pay attention and water the plant once every, you know, month or two uh, effectively um, and we can step in then with the with the infrastructure behind it of everything from bill tracking and letter writing and web, websites or phone calls and in structuring meetings and everything else even just setting up meetings right we're not gonna we're not at our best if we're providing you know the testimony in certain states where we don't live 
Um, you know, great example is in Michigan when, you know, health and human services, you know, shut down lounges during COVID all of a sudden, we were able to at least organize the, uh, the the meeting with Health and Human Services and all the offices and the retailers to provide the testimony that got them opened up two days later because we went through, here's how the air filtration systems work, everything else. So we help facilitate that. We can write testimony. We give statistics. So we can provide all that infrastructure underneath it. And we just need at a minimum three to five retailers in each state if we can get them. Some states like Wyoming I just have one or two. We yeah. understand. But as long as there's some aspect of activity at that level, we don't need a, we don't need much, but that goes so far. And being a local business owner that employs people, those people pay taxes. They have friends and families that know what they do. You're a local business owner. You're involved in charities and communities. Um, you know, quite honestly, more often than not, you've had a local elected official that has frequented your shop. Um, you become friends with other shop owners that know why you're there and you are able to build out a network that's much more powerful than I think that a lot of them realize. You're not just a single voice. You represent usually a lot of very powerful voices. And as a constituent that owns a business that votes and has a lot of people that are involved with you and, 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 and rely on you and or are friends with you who also vote, uh, believe me, 10 of you showing up um, to a, a member's office or to an event um, is is way more powerful than you think that it is. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And Nick, if you have anything, like jump in here, man. Um, let was, me, I'm, I'm uh, learning a lot. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me let me ask you, I kind of want to bring it back to media just real quick, because that's the space that I live in uh, yeah. uh, for better or for worse. And I am in the unique position, Scott, where we started this podcast. I started it five years ago, almost now. Uh, by the time this releases, it like we'll be celebrating our five-year anniversary. Um, so I'm in the unique position where- Happy anniversary. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I'm in the unique position where I came in before all of these uh, new podcasts and, and blogs and blogs came in during COVID. Uh, but I'm also far enough removed from guys like Coop and Half Wheel- uh, and the cigar authority who have been around for, for, you know, 10, 15 years, like I'm still relatively new in the space, but I'm not the new guy anymore coming into the space. Um, and I don't mean any disrespect from, uh, from this comment, but it felt like from the outside looking in, and I never got this feeling from you guys. This was not me personally, but others in the media told me like, Oh yeah, the PCA hates the media. I'm like, What? How could they hate the media? Like we we shine the spotlight on them for them for essentially free. Like why would they hate us? And you know I get different answers from from different people, but you guys and you in particular, I have heard have, have made great inroads uh, with those of us in this media space. And I you know the journalists I use that term loosely, um, but but you have made great inroads with that. Can you talk a little bit about that when you took over as uh, the executive director of the PCA and what that relationship with the media was like and what it's like now and what changes you've made to kind of facilitate that? Yeah. Um, it was, it was a really interesting space to wade into. Um, sometimes it still does confuse me a little bit because uh, again, being in trade associations, the American college of radiology and radiology, radiology business, um, you know, they, they, they don't editorialize on how ACR runs their business. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's one of the interesting things. And, and for me, you know, whatever, you know, uh, 
you can criticize me for decisions or whatever the case may be, you know, nobody else runs the organization. And, um, you know, most of the media, I don't think have, have been in trade associations. So for me, but I also look, I'll take insights from people that are in the industry if they've got ideas and I'm more than happy to listen to anybody. And, you know, Jay Davis, who's on the board was a massive critic, right? He used to call and, 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 or comments all the time. And I finally just said, run for the board, man. And, uh, and, and, you know, so it was, I've never seen it as an adversarial position, um, in, in terms of that. And so, but to your point, um, I, I wasn't really aware too much about my predecessor or what he did or didn't do or what others, I think it was probably more, um, I will say this, uh, I don't think it's any secret that, you know, my three of my predecessors, I don't think were, um, they were kind of really more managed by the board um, in, in certain ways. And so I think it was more of a board relationship with media and trying to figure out kind of how that would work. And the tough part about that is, is that the board wasn't static. It wasn't one individual that was doing it. They're rotating in and out and they kind of have things and, and, and the way that things go and everything else and stuff. And so um, I think it was just, you know, what do we do with this new media, right? It's very different than what they were used to when they were trying to figure it out. And, and so I don't necessarily know, I mean, maybe there were folks that were, were, you know, uh, upset and, or didn't like it. Um, uh, you know, you also have some, some retailers that are just basically as, as, as as blunt as a you know <laughs> as, as a hammer in terms of uh, the way that they talk and, and i love them all dearly uh but you know so they'll say stuff and you know it obviously will be you know taken wrong and whatever the case may be but um at the same time if if we've got to have thick skin then i would say the media has to have thick skin if you know we have commentary criticisms too um so i think it's a two-way street but yes. I, you know for me for me ultimately look you know I, again i uh, was an electronic journalism uh, i was like well, it was one of the first programs in the country that's that's you know one of the things i did in school um that did communications for a long time through different um trade associations um in different aspects um i you know again looking at the media wise i wasn't ever anybody type of consumer that consumed a lot of media i was like most i would get the cigar aficionados um i would you know take them to my local lounge and want to try different things and things like that and want to kind of follow the lists. Um, and that was kind of the extent of my media consumption as far as the industry concerned. So I came into it with a fairly clean slate of not really kind of um, understanding too much of the dynamics, um, but understanding, look, it's a, an important component because we don't have a lot of outlets and the new media presents a great opportunity for this industry to connect with new consumers. And that's what we really want. Um and so, you know, kind of taking that approach and again, you know, staff, everything else, we also need, we, we also need people enlisted in the fight with us. We're not going to win this just with a handful of retailers. Uh, we need an army of consumers that, that are also dialed into what we're doing. And if the podcast and the media are going to help us facilitate that, then we need to have relationships with them. It makes no sense for us to not. Um, and then the other part too is, is that, you know, you all are there at the show. You're connecting consumers uh, to the show. That's what we want. We want those consumers to be in the shops asking for the products, finding these products, finding these these uh, these releases and finding these new brands and everything else. It's a very important component for us. So I never saw it as in any sort of adversarial thing. I always saw it as a means by, hey, how can we partner and everything else? And, you know, I've never been overt, but my hope would be that it would be, let's be symbiotic here to where, you know, if you don't agree with a, a decision, I, it really, I don't understand 
if it does any good at all for media to sit here and nitpick what we're doing. Uh, it really doesn't, to be honest with you. Um, if it makes you, then, you know, that's great. You guys want to have the commentary about how the show was or whatever else. That's, that's fine. That's fantastic. It's much better for me if you just give me a call and say, Hey, like I got a message from a, um, uh, a media guy um, and it was, not necessarily problems about the show, but it was just a very specific thing. And it was a outreach to me directly with a list of these things. That is very helpful, right? But I get it. You guys have shows you want to do the talk, whatever else. It, it's for me, I would much prefer a more symbiotic one where, hey, we're all in this because we love the industry. We want to see it grow. We want to see it prosper and we want to see it defended. And if I think we were all on that same page, that's all the outcome that we want. I think that by and large, for the most part, we all have that understanding. Now, I think you our understanding that's where I'm coming from too. Um, then the relationships are much easier, right? And I I want to I want to promote you all uh, as much as I possibly can too, and the PCA does as well. And so um, you know we'll 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 find a, a better balance as we kind of move forward into how we're doing stuff with with content. We want to share your content. We want to want to provide a means for you to be able to share. We promote you all as being on site at the trade show, um, so that that way people know who you are and where to look, and then also manufacturers can reach out to try to connect with you all. So we're trying to promote you all more as well. So I think that if, you know, again, we'll, I think it's, it's it's significantly better than obviously when I started. And I think 100%. we'll just get better and better and better. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. And one sure. of the big changes you made uh, this last year was, you know, <clears throat> we no longer have to pay the dues to be members. We just, we, we, there's a vetting process now that's in place that we, you and I talked about uh, offline before the show uh, that's yep. in place to make sure that, that if you are media, you can go. And if you're not media, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, yeah. kind of a deal. So I think, and for media, I think that was one of the big things. Cause we kind of got thrown in uh, talking to a uh, coop, you know, we were the damn bloggers, uh, who would come into the show and just give me free cigars, give me free cigars. And if you don't give me free cigars, I'm going to, I'm going to buy it myself. And then I'll, I'll shit can you in the, in the review, uh, which is a totally shitty thing to do. And if you're doing that, you're not media, you're just a jackass. Um, I'm yeah. both, I'm just a jackass in general, but I don't do that. But like that's I'm just here for the free cigars, James. Just, yeah, like that's it. Like that's <laughs> a lot of those damn bloggers just came for the free cigars, which put a, a, the media when I so when I say us, it's us as the media uh, pitted against the PCA uh, is a well, legitimate media is not doing that. It's these other guys who are doing that. Why are we getting lumped in with these other guys? Isn't there a process? And I think this new process should help weed out some of the uh, bad apples, as they say. Yeah. So we want to balance it. Just like I said, we want, we want media there shining the right light on the trade show for the right reasons. Right. And, um, this kind of goes to the other element is sometimes being at the whim of, you know, maybe some pissed off exhibitors or things like that about interactions with media, then it gets blasted and blanketed out. Whereas now we have a more centralized control. I've got a handle on it. Right. So I know. So when people reach out, like someone was complaining, a media person was complaining about another media person thinking that was just an influencer that got on the show Florida. I was like, well, actually, that person's uh, is a retailer who happens to have a social media presence. So I'm a lot more dialed in and it's a little bit more centrally controlled now. And because of that, you know, um, the the media thing, it made sense at the time for the, the two reasons. Number one, or if you're serious enough to plunk down the money, that's great. That was kind of a gating aspect of it. The second part, but that kind of fell apart because you have other people giving other people badges and they would just get in for free. So, sure. okay. But the second part really is as we kind of got under more scrutiny, 
one of the things that saved us in terms of Nevada, the taxes of the FDA was that it was a members only tobacco event. So there's the age and the vetting process and everything else. And they say, no, look, even the media are all members. That's gone away. We've gotten over, we've crossed that hill and everything else with our relationships we've built with locals and, and, and then also the FDA uh, for having come for many years. So at this point, you know, really, it's not even the damn bloggers anymore. It's the influencers that is, is the problem, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, like, hey, look, I bought, you know, 15,000, you know, uh, followers. So I'm going to come because I'm good for your show and this and that and the other. And that, oh, that's what we hear often all the time is, hey, look, we, we're, you know, we're up and coming. You know, we just got this and we're this production company and we're going to do this. And that that's fine. I can't. That's that's not something that we can, you know, expose the show to. It's got to be something to where we're looking at. Your bylines, how much content are you putting out? What type of content are you putting out? Um, and and that kind of stuff. Because somebody, I'm sorry, but if somebody who's just taking pictures of cigars and putting them on Instagram, that's not something that's going to promote the show because you're you have followers that just look at the pictures of your cigars. There's no content behind that, there's no development that's behind that, there's not a lot of time that's behind that. Um, in terms of the work that you're putting into again, going back to what we're talking about. What are you doing as media to help pr produce, uh, to promote uh, and grow the industry and put a good light on what we're doing? Um, you know, and, and, uh, and just simply taking pictures of cigars doesn't allow you to come into a B2B space uh, to try to interact that way. That's not what what your social profile is all about. Therefore, that's not what this show is about for you. Let, let me ask you this. If there was one thing, one thing that us media types uh, could do that would make your life infinitely easier. What would it be? Because I know that a lot of media guys question. are trying to figure that out. Like what can we do to make sure that we're doing it the way that they want us to do it while still being true to the way that we do it. Like, obviously, like, you know, I told you that we're, a, we're an interview show. And so when mm -hmm. we go to the trade show, we do interviews. We try to keep them as short and succinct as possible to get out of their hair so they can keep selling and doing what they're doing while still getting the content we need. But throughout the year, like what can media do that would make your job just, you would just be so thankful that, you know, we, we just want to be in your good graces, Scott. That's all we really want. How do we, how do we do that? Uh, you know, ultimately, um, I look, I, I, you know, it's tough to lump all, all media in here because I understand that there's certain media that are out there that have a business model that's set up that where controversy sells more. Um, for controversy me, I would cash. Yeah. Yeah. I, right. I, I would, I, I would, pref I would prefer the media steer away from the controversy within the industry. Um, and putting it out there and, and discussing it and everything else um, is not a good light for us as an industry. And it, it works against us um, when, when doing that. Right. And so um, my, to make my life infinitely easier would be a, you're taking a lot of what we're doing at the state levels in particular and, and sharing that out with your consumer. So they, so that that's helping sort of spread our message in their locality. So if you got somebody who's in Grand Rapids and they see something about Michigan from you guys, you know, holy shit, I'm jumping on cigar action because I want this to happen, or I'm going to go in New Jersey and support this new bill, whatever the case may be. 
that's a huge help. But the other part too would be reporting on the industry in a way that's always, I almost feel like, you know, Lumberg in, in office space here. Is this good for the company? I really wish it would be, is this good for the cigar industry? If that was the mantra before this story was told, I think it would be uh, a really fascinating, uh, you know, way to look at a difference in the way that that's kind of interacted. I would prefer, and not that I want it to be sunshine and roses. I don't want you to scrub whatever you know story that's out there, whatever the case may be. But, you know, this isn't, this isn't the, the the New York Times and the Pentagon Papers. This isn't the Washington Post and Watergate, you know, and, and, and things like that. Um, and it's, so it's, you know, it's not even, it's not it's not ESPN breaking down, you no. know, who played well during the World Series or things like that. Right. It's and so that's that for me, I think, would be the ideal situation with media is promulgating and, and spreading out well, to your consumers um, how they can get involved when we have things going on. And then the other part really is just just showcase the glowing example that this industry is and how good this industry is and what they do and everything else. And for the most part, I mean, really honestly, 99% of, of what goes on with the media is love for the industry. It's about, you know, the good stuff and everything else. And, and, you know, the reviews, you know, they happen. I know some people don't like reviews and things like that, but reviews do get people interested and people like that component um, and putting the news out there and things like that. The interviews, getting to know the personalities, all of that's very, very important. So, you know, I, I think that by and large, for the vast, vast majority, I think that's all very good. So that's just, I, and that, for me, that's that's just a tiny nitpick. I mean, really, ultimately, I think the media, by and large, is doing a great job. I like having you all there at the trade show. I think the coverage you guys do is important. It's good for the manufacturers to have multiple outlets. Well, we have 250 plus manufacturers. You know, the smaller guys really need help in getting lots of oxygen. You guys all do a great job with that. So, I mean, that's just that's the only thing that could come to mind there is just that. But it's a small nitpick. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that's a great answer, Scott, especially when I put you on the spot and I didn't like give you a heads up. I was going to ask that. Let me <laughs> let me because I we're running out of time here and I don't want to take up. I, I could talk to you for hours about the whole industry and everything. But I, I like I, the trade shows coming up in three months. And, um, yeah, at the end of March, like less two and a half, two and a half. (laughs) Jesus Christ. It's like, yeah, tell me about it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I would imagine as stressed out as I am about it. I would imagine your stress is about a million times more. Uh, what can we look forward to at the trade show? Um, are the manufacturers ready to have new releases that are going to release afterwards? Cause they had a, a much smaller, um, gestation period this time i guess yeah uh you know just about the time it takes to to birth a baby nine months in between like are are they gonna have things that are ready to go uh for the trade show and uh, what can we look forward to yeah that's why we wanted to announce it as early as we possibly could so as soon as that ink dried for us on that contract we put the press release out um and so um, there were been um, many manufacturers that said, yeah, there were stuff that they had planned for 23 that they decided we're going to hold off so we can be ready for 24. Um, so I, you know, by and large, I think most of them are getting ready. I think, uh, you know, that, that, um, you know, ready or not, here it comes. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people understand this was a quick turnaround for both us and the manufacturers. So I think that there's a little bit of leeway that, that, we're all granted for this first one. I think we're all going to take a big sigh of relief because we're going to have a little north of 12 months until the next one comes around because it'll be the second week of, well, the 8th of April um, for the for 25. So um, uh, I think that manufacturers are, are going to be ready for it. We're, um, you know, um, I'm not going to steal any thunder from a manufacturer that I know that's doing something special at the show this year. Um, but 
one of the biggest manufacturers you could possibly think of is, is coming up with something big next year. So I'm really excited to see what that's going to come about. Um, they're doing something special on the show floor and, and um, uh, hopefully we can announce something pr- uh, fairly soon, but that Friday, we're going to have a pairing um, uh, seminar going with the new cigar with, with La Aurora with their rum, which is delicious. I had some of the cigar Fusion's office last month and my God, I was like, where's this rum been my whole life? <laughs> it was delicious. So we'll be doing that. We're going to get into some more blending seminars, getting into some of the ins and outs of some blenders, looking at cigars for that. Um, brand new opening party over at Resorts World. So uh, that'll be fun. Um, we're going to be, we're working on some different, you know, evening cigar events um, and, 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 and smoking event. And so the people can go and smoke at different places. Um, so I know people are going to kind of disperse, but where we can try to keep people together a lot more comfortably than what the bar Lux has been at Venetian where, you know, you have 500 people gathered around a space that's fit for like 30. Um, we definitely will have a lot more space. So five or 600 people will be a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. Uh, I, rather than- I, I'll be honest, God, that that's music to my ears. Cause sitting around the square bar, uh, there, the Venetian was like you, you like sitting on slot machines. You can't get a table, and there's never a seat, and like, but everybody's there. If you're not there, yeah. like, did you really go to the show? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. If you haven't been sandwiched in between five people, right, and had five random guys grab your ass, then you have not had the PCA bar lux experience. Well, five five guys grabbing my ass. Uh, no, I don't mean the burger and the subsequent digestion. All right, make it sure, make yeah. it sure. No, is this something I, uh, that you're going to carry over for uh, New Orleans next year at 25, where you're going to have we're going to be able to go? Because I know that was a big complaint, Liz, because I wasn't there, but that was the big complaint for people like, well, New Orleans again, we got yelled at for smoking in the hotels and, and outside the hotels, and there was nowhere to smoke into this and that. Everyone's always bitching about something. Is that going to continue in into next year so that we do have somewhere to go after the trade show to network and 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 smoke and have a good time? Absolutely. Ne- uh, New Orleans, um, the, that entire group has been so great to work with. Um, so Troy Carter, who is the uh, U.S. representative that whose district is New Orleans, he's the co-chair of our Congressional Cigar Caucus. So he basically said, look, whatever you need, let me know. Um, we're actually very uh, optimistic well, I'm at least very optimistic that we're going to, you know, we uh, it, it, doing the trade show in New Orleans is going to be, you know, something that might help us get rid of that cigar bar, uh, cigar ban, right? So we can kind of allow exemptions for cigars, uh, lounges to come back in New Orleans. But with that eye on it, New Orleans, um, number one, they, they presented many different opportunities for us to be able to build out our own experiences, uh, not too expensively, by the way. I think people are going to be really surprised by how well New Orleans goes, especially based upon previous. But I think even comparing it to Las Vegas, which is obviously very smoker friendly, um, just not in in a way where everybody can get together. I think New Orleans is going to surprise people by what we're able to do there. We've got a lot of great things that we're we're planning on right now. Um, And if they all come to fruition, which I don't see why they won't, um, because as we've been having the conversations with, you know, city officials and some local owners, there were certain things. Um, I foresee us having um, a, a really, really good experience in New Orleans um, that I think that when we go back to Vegas after New Orleans, people might be like, ah, it's not the same because we don't have the same uh, way we're going. So I'm actually really looking forward to New Orleans just because I know what we're working on. And I think people are going to have a lot of fun. And I think we'll be surprised by what we're able to do there. Um so yeah, I think that um um no plus what we're also doing, I talk about the awards, we're you know, we have we're not doing that last half day anymore, right? So Tuesday's right. cut out of the show, thank God. 
So Monday night, uh, it, it closes at five o'clock, the show floor, and then we're going to end the show with another party, right? So we have an opening party. We're going to have a closing party. Hey. So the closing party is also going to be our award show. That's where we're going to present the awards for our, our retailers and our advocacy awards. Uh, but we're going to do that for a smoking party the same way that we can have the opening party too. So that way we can bookend the event with some fun times with people to be able to have some drinks and cigars um, before we head out and also recognize some excellence in the industry and, and for friends to get together before we part. And so – uh, so that's something we're looking forward to. Happy hours are coming back again. Uh, some kind of want to do bigger and better things this year with those happy hours, um, you know, off hour smoking events. Um, and then we have um, no more early entry. So everyone goes on the show floor at the same time. Uh, you all as media will get to get on the show floor whenever the manufacturers are on the show floor, just not during build out. So, you know, mornings, whatever else, as soon as manufacturers are on, you'll be able to get on early um, and get a jump start on interviews and things like that when retailers are on, aren't there. Um, and we've got, you know, uh, uh, an actual really uh, good and powerful education series uh, that we kick off at nine o'clock in the morning before the show floor opens at 10 with a lot of really good and interesting uh, people coming in on different topics, ranging from um, everything from targeted marketing um, to, you know, our new insurance plans that we've got promoting that are out there. Um, and, um, and then obviously the advocacy and our state association networks and stuff. So um, really good show. Plus we harder, get- Scott, you're making it harder. So, but, and even better, now that we're at the, the convention center, we have an alcohol spirits pavilion on the show floor this year. An alcohol company, we've got multiple alcohol companies that are, are going to have booths there and set up with some samples and stuff for folks. We're going to hopefully build that out as big as possible. So we were almost sold out. So we had to get more, more space for, for, uh, for booths this year. We had to get an additional hall at the convention center. Wow. That's awesome. So I was going to ask how many, uh, can you tell us how many you've got that have signed up? They're like, yes, we're for sure coming because we saw drew estates back this year uh, mm-hmm. for the trade show, which is huge. Um, so congratulations to you. Cause I know like there was this whole big thing a few years ago. If you go back to 2020 guys, you can figure it out. But, yeah, read read, all, read, about read it, yeah. all about it. I don't want to <laughs> yeah. rehash it here, but they're back. So that's good news for, for the trade show, right? Uh, it's great news. I mean, uh, um, I've kept very Glenn Wolfson, the CEO over there. And I, um, I consider him a very good friend. I was actually just, you know, at his house when I was down in, in Miami uh, last month. Um, and uh, he and I have maintained uh, consistent contact and relationship throughout all of this and kind of understanding, um, you know, their parent company, Swisher. Obviously, there was some divergence as it relates to, you know, strategies a few years ago. That's that's all gone. Uh, you know, like I said, you know, we're, we've worked very, very closely. The new team they have over there um, at, at Swisher and then and, and, and with Glenn, uh, phenomenal. We've worked incredibly well with them um, and they're terrific. Patrick Rooney, who's their head of federal affairs, used to work at Old Virginia Tobacco. Um very much a cigar guy, uh, his boss, Chris Howard, they've been tremendous to work with. And so that whole relationship is, is, you know, this culmination of coming back, um, is awesome. All to this again, back with the bigger booth generals back there. What they're doing is they're doing it every other year. So it's general products this year. Next year will be forged. Um, we'll kind of see how that works out for, for them as far as, as we move forward. I think a lot of folks are excited to see the change as far as the spring is concerned. Right now we are, um, just, so with three months to go, we are just under by a little bit 
of where we were last year. So that means then we're, we're, we will we will definitely exceed um, probably by about a good 10 to 15 percent or more from where we were last year in terms of that. We probably have a queue of about 50 companies still waiting to get on and pick. Um, and the BCA is so, coming back. They're going to have their pavilion this year. Yeah. Yeah. So, BCA, that was a big success for them last year. That was great. They were great. They were happy. All the companies were ready to go. In fact, you know, Gabby and, and Armin came walking up as the show was going on. They're like, we don't want to wait. This is great. Can we do it again? And so we said, sure. And we carved out the space for them right there before that, that got going. So it's, uh, it's good. It's good. And then my, uh, you know, so I grew up in, uh, I don't know how many people know this, but, uh, you know, I grew up in Utah and, uh, and, and so my good friends at Apostate Cigars from Utah as well, they're coming back. They've got the release where they're putting out some new cigars. And so, uh, I'm hoping that they'll take one of my ideas for a new cigar. I, uh, I, I uh, for, for that. So we'll see. So, yeah, so a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of good, interesting stuff coming about with some new companies have reached out and, uh, new accessory companies uh, are reaching out too. And so, um, people growing the booth sizes and everything else. So it's, um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun this year and we got a really interesting layout. It's really cool. Cause it's, um, this will never happen again because the convention center is under construction. So we were given this front hall for free. So you never have to put your, as soon as you, it, well, unless you're taking the Tesla tunnel over, you can't smoke. Right. But as soon as you walk outside, you could smoke the entire time you're in and around and walking out. You don't ever have to put your cigar out anymore. Right. So you walk in, but when you walk into the hall, you're walking up above because normally you'd walk in from the side, but it's under construction. So you're walking in. And so you're elevated when you walk in. So when you walk in, you're going to look out and see the whole show floor before you walk down the stairs to go down. We've got main street and then the main street's going to have a couple of center things with one of the special companies and then our big lounge. Um, and so it's, it's, it's got a really cool setup and we're still kind of designing some of the experiences, but uh, we'll probably have, you know, golf or maybe bowling or something like that on the show floor again and some other, you know, lounge areas and things like that. So. Wow. It sounds great. I can't wait uh, to see, uh, you know, the culmination of all the hard work you've put in for the last nine months. Jesus, that's, <laughs> I, that's yeah. just insane. If there's one thing, cause I don't want to keep any longer uh, than I have already. And I, I apologize that we've gone so long on time, but let, if there was one thing, Scott, that you want consumers to know about the PCA, what would it be? Cigaraction.org. Plain and simple. If you go there, you put your, your name and your address in. Uh, we don't spam you. We don't sell this. All this is, is that if you put your address in um, and we've got you then by congressional district, if something comes up where we need you to write a letter, we'll just send you an email. You click on it. The letter's already written. You just click your approval to send that letter in your name to your elected representative um, supporting whatever it is that, that we want, whether it's defeating taxes, whether it's you know defeating a smoking ban, or whether it's in favor of a bill that we're trying to say, get a tax cap on cigars or get a cigar bar bill passed like we did in Connecticut or you know get a cigar exemption so that cigar lounges can open like you know New Orleans. Any number of those things, um, you know, again, and, and it's very effective. Don't think that your voice doesn't help. I love this example from New Jersey. You know, a couple of years ago, New Jersey wanted to put a bill in place where if you sold tobacco products, they were going to require you to sell smoking cessation products. So basically all of our cigar lounges would have had to have sold like Nicorette gum and that kind of stuff, right? That bill dropped and within an hour, we had our campaign going to where the uh, chief of staff of the senator who authored the bill called us and was like, I have never gotten so many phone calls and emails on a bill in the first hour that I've ever gotten for this. We've pulled it. 
how do you want us to modify this so that, you know, your retailers and your consumers will stop calling us? So we got the exemption in there for cigar lounges. So it absolutely helps. I mean, look, 10, 15 people calling a senator's state, state senator's office within an hour is is an absolute delusion for them right so that is exactly what we want so cigaraction.org you know it's a it's a way for you to be engaged we need a consumer army out there um and then we can kind of help lead the charge if you can just come in and and you know do that when we need it it's a massive help for the industry there you go cigaraction.org i will put a link in the show description down below uh, click it, go sign up. Like he said, they don't, they don't sell your information. They don't sell to third parties, but this is a huge help. Look, I can just tell you guys, if I was a Senator, I wouldn't want to be bothered either. One call an hour would be a deluge. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm your Senator. God damn it. I don't want to talk to you. You, you are the POVs. Just do what I tell you. Yeah. Uh, it's like Ron Swanson, right? <laughs> <laughs> if I could destroy government from the inside, I absolutely would. Ron Swanson is my spirit animal. Uh, absolutely. Scott Pierce. PCA, thank you so much, Scott, for your time tonight. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. I'm sure we'll talk to you at the trade show. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate the time. No, thank you. Uh, Nick, that's it. That's another show. And I feel like I bulldozed you once again, my friend. No. Listen, there was so much information that Scott gave us that uh, lots to digest. We thank you very much for coming on board and for telling everybody out there lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. You got to listen to this episode. More than once, more than yeah, once. Yeah, Just definitely more than once. It was, a, it was great information. Yeah. Uh, thank you again, Scott. Uh, thank you, Nick, for joining me uh, this week. Guys, join us a week from today where we have our after show, Clear the Air, hosted by my good friend, Tim, uh, where he will bring back myself and Nick, and we will talk about Scott behind his back. And then put it out there for everybody to listen to, including Scott, uh, if he so chooses. Scott Pierce, PCA, thank you so much. Guys, we'll see you next week. Until then. Stay smoky, friends.